Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. Now, the Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down and talk with leaders of today to help inspire and create more leaders for tomorrow. Because I am convinced that the world needs more leaders and that you should be the next one. Leaders come in all shapes and sizes, and that's who we sit down and talk with. It may not always look the way you think leadership does, but we have incredible leaders, and that's who the people we're trying to talk to on this show, and episode 48 is no different. We sit down with Rob Walling. Rob is an entrepreneur. He is an investor. He's a podcaster. He runs events. He runs a blog, and he's been doing all of this for over a decade. He's an incredible resource and really a thought leader in the space of bootstrapped SaaS companies. And we unpack what that actually means and why it's so powerful for all entrepreneurs. Um, but we look at you know how Rob helped create that category. And really, as a thought leader, how, how do you become a thought leader, almost forced into a leadership role, one that he didn't really set out to do. He just was passionate about this and continued to talk about it. We talk about how you as a leader can explore Bootstrap SaaS as a potential career opportunity and spotting future leaders within your organization. So a great discussion here with Rob. I love this conversation. You're going to like it too. So episode 48 here with Rob Walling. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Lead More podcast. I'm here with my friend Rob Walling from Minneapolis. How are you, Rob? Doing great, John. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, you bet. I'm excited. So uh, thanks for being patient with me. We've been trying to kind of book this one for a while and I did see you speak. You came to Sioux Falls a couple of years ago and spoke at the Innovation Expo. Um, tell us what you've had a lot of titles, a lot of projects. What's the one you own or claim first right now? Yeah, right now is a great way to put it because it changes over time, right? I mean, I think of myself first and foremost as like a maker, like I make mm-hmm. things. And I think if you were to push it and say, well, what's the corporate title? I'd almost, I, I like <laughs> being founder, founder and CEO, founder, because I like starting things, yeah. you know, whether it's companies or back in the day, I was in bands, but started oh, several different bands that. when I was a kid. I did want to ask you about that record behind you, what that story there. Yes. Yeah, so that is an action, an authentic um, gold record from the Beatles Abbey Road. And it was presented to them when it, I, at one of the times it went gold, um, which Dang. is, I think, I think it's like 30 times platinum, which means it's 30 times gold. So there are 30 of those that exist. And then there's four members. So I believe if I were to do okay, this math, 120, 120 in the world. Now, who knows how many exist still, right? The Beatles are the, you know, you get these sure. bands and they don't actually like care about their goal. <laughs> they don't care about the 500th gold record they've hit. So, so how did you acquire it. this awesome collectible item? I got it at an auction and it's cool. a, an online auction. Yeah. I, I collect things and I used to collect you know, small I, comics when I was a kid. And now yeah. um, that I've, you know, have a little more means after selling some companies, I, I like every once in a while getting a bigger piece like that. That's just something I can, I can think about and look at every day and think like those guys spent like 20 years to get that good. And like, I spent 20 years to have enough money to buy that. You know what I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's like a sense of pride, right? Like I've, I'm in a different place than, than when I was growing up and my dad, sure. dad was an electrician and my mom stayed at home, you know, and, and, and that feels good. Yeah, I mean, they're the classic, uh, you know, 10,000 hours in, uh, was it Manchester, right? Where they just kept grinding and, and working on Liverpool, yep. yeah, yep. Um, working on their music. So that's cool. That's the original, like before the original NFT, right? A real that's item right. That, no, that nobody else can have. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So in your found, so founder, uh, which do you talk first about um, the, the, you know, the fun, tiny, or do you talk about, uh, or sorry, um, 
Tiny seed. Tiny seed. Tiny seed. Do you go microconf? Do you what? What do you kind of like to lead with when you say founder? That is fascinating. It depends on who I'm talking to. Um, so I work. I focus on three things these days. After I, I used to run a software as a service company. I sold that in 2016. And these days I work on three things: a podcast that I've been doing for 11 years called Startups for the Rest of Us. Cool. Talks about bootstrapping SaaS, and then microconf, uh, which is the well, it's the oldest and the largest community for, you know, bootstrap SaaS found bootstrap and mostly bootstrap SaaS founders. Sure, sure. And then tiny seed, which is a fund for people who want to bootstrap SaaS. You're starting to see the theme. I think most often I lead with microconf just because I've been doing it the longest. Tiny seeds only been around for about two and a half, three years. Um, but obviously if I was on a podcast about investment, then I would, you know, lead with that. And microconf sure, is kind of sure. the secondary. Cool. So one of the things I want to start with is I'm, I'm, I have a, as someone who uh, is, uh, you know, probably entrepreneurs often have shiny object syndrome, kind of a dabbler. I feel like I'm a little bit more of a generalist than a, than a specialist. So I always have a lot of admiration for people who just continue to create and do things over and over and over and always show up. And so, you know, you've had some success, like you said, in these last few years, but even before you were podcasting for 11 years, that's 2010. So like, Take me back to 2010 when you're you're making, you're trying to build a company, you're still running a podcast. What drove you to create all this stuff? It it was really well, there were there were two different motivations, right? So in my career, I have made 10 times, a hundred times more money from building software companies, building, growing, whether it's a profit from them or, or later selling them. But on the side, I always wanted to have some type of connection or community. And it didn't exist in 2005 when I started a blog. And <laughs> I was like, I kind of want to bootstrap software, you know, and, and you go back to those early posts and I'm just this lonely tree falling in the woods with no one else around me. And by the time I, I built up an audience, uh, it was, you know, it took me a few years and yep. maybe 2008, 2009, it, this was all a side project, right? The blog was a side project. Then I wrote a book that was really a side project next to, while I was trying to run companies. And then the podcast was a side project and microconf was a side project. It's not anymore. But so the companies during the day were my focus because I was, I was trying to be, I wanted to be ambitious and I wanted to change my life and I wanted to, you know, build companies because it's interesting and fun to do. And all the other stuff that we, you know, that we talk about now was almost a hobby because I wanted to be around other interesting founders doing interesting things. That was that was really what kept me going. Because the prevailing theme, you said you were from California at the time, was I'm sure especially there, raise money, raise a big yep. fund, grow a huge company, scale it to the moon, right? Yep, that's right. And I, that's a narrative. And it's to be honest, it's probably now my mission in life is to just communicate to people that that's not the only narrative. I don't think that's a bad narrative. There are companies that you sure. really cannot build without that. But I think about 99% of companies can and should be built without hardcore venture capital. I have, you know, I use the term bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped because I know tons of, of whether it's small tech companies or small SaaS companies, that they do raise 100,000 to 300,000 in the early days. And maybe there is a little more later, but that's very different than this venture track that we see with WeWork and Uber. Sure. And, you know, that's where they raise hundreds of millions, if, if not more. And yeah. that shouldn't be, I was brainwashed. I mean, in 2005, I was like, the only way to start a software company is to take <laughs> venture funding. And, yeah, yeah. and I just wish I had known different then. And that's kind of my, you know, again, my mission is to let people know that's not the case. Cool. And this is a great, maybe like if, if anyone's listening and uh, long-term lead more listeners like, okay, wait, is this about SaaS now? Or like, where are we going? Like, let's do a little level set because I, we're going to get into why I think you're absolutely a leader. Um, but just maybe give us a quick, like, 
for the audience, unpack the, you know, why you think SaaS is so special and then sort of the route of why a bootstrap, uh, what that means and how the, because one thing I want leaders to, to learn is that like, there are a lot of ways, I like the way you said it, I wanted to change my life, right? There are a lot of ways to do that. If you're listening to this and you like, you want to be a leader, you want to start a company, but you don't know where to go. So yeah. like, let's first start with SaaS. Yeah. SaaS stands for software as a service. And it's really just any application. You, it's a web application that you charge a subscription fee for. And so if you, anyone in your audience has used MailChimp, that's, mm -hmm. you know, in the old, I mean, if you go back 25 years to do what MailChimp does, you would have downloaded a desktop app, probably yep. paid a one-time fee, you know, and needed yeah, like no the CD-ROM, yeah. Totally, right? Yeah, it, yeah, you download or you, even before that, you buy a CD-ROM. We used to buy Microsoft Word, right, on a CD-ROM, or you downloaded it, and you paid a one-time fee, QuickBooks, Quicken, all these things. They're now in the cloud, and mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're up on a server. You go to QuickBooks.com, or you go to Outlook.com, and you log in, and you pay a monthly fee, right, or an annual fee. That's SaaS. Those are big company SaaS. But the iceberg of SaaS is that there are tens of thousands of little SaaS companies. And by little, maybe, you know, I had one that was making $250,000 a year and I was the only employee and I had about $3,000 a month in, in expenses, right? It was wow. incredibly lucrative. It was a keyword tool for, for a search engine optimization. But that's little, or you could say little is, you know, a $5 million or $10 million company because little by venture capital standards or little by the rest of the world. So it'll never be in Fortune magazine. It'll never mm -hmm. get written up on TechCrunch. And yet the, that founder has changed their lives. And if they Absolutely. decide to sell it, you know, these things can have 50% net margins relative 30 to 50 pretty easily, even at scale. So you can do math on how much money they yeah. can make. And if then money's big multiples, goal, yeah. Big multiples when you sell. And so that's really the... That's the value and the, the beauty of SaaS. I think, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think SaaS seems to kind of get credit for this. So even if someone's listening and doesn't know software or doesn't want to do software, another part of the model that's so fascinating is that subscription, that recurring right. revenue model. And so you're seeing businesses take, you know, traditionally, um, you know, even agencies, right? Like instead of selling the, the big one-time huge website, maybe they they sell it as a subscription and continual value and services. So You've seen a lot of different subscription companies talk about how the power of that, what it, what's done for you as a founder. Absolutely. I mean, the value of it, because I, I, I'm old enough that I was running a soft, couple software products, small ones, that before SaaS. And every month on the first of the month, I looked at my revenue and I had zero dollars. And it was like, well, I got to go do some selling to get just yeah, to get yeah. back up to last month. Well, with SaaS, every month, if I was at 10000 last month, and it's presuming I don't have a bunch of tr people churning out... Mm -hmm. On the first of next month, I pretty much have 10,000 in revenue. So I only, you know, you, I don't say you only go up, but really that's the thing. If you're doing it right every yep. month, you're just adding 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 and it, it just comes in. Now it's not easy. We're making it sound easy. SaaS is this very long, slow ramp because in the old days you'd charge $500 for a piece of software and maybe you can only charge $30 a month or $50 a month. So as a result, you might need 10 times the customers to yep. make the same amount of monthly, but then they... They just pay you until, you know, kind of, it's not indefinite, but they pay you for a very long time, right? Until they churn. Yeah. And you continue to add value. And yeah, that's right. It's a flywheel that you build rather than this hand, flywheel versus a hamster wheel is how I think about it. Yeah. And I think you made the right point, which is, you know, like the flip side, my, my business partner and I were two people. We, we paid South Dakota 150 bucks to incorporate our company. It had two laptops. The first project we sold, we were in the black and off we go. You know, SaaS, you can build for 18 months. You can't find product market fit, you know. And so 
But right. when you hit that flywheel, yes, then you really have something special. So that's right. Yep. Well, let's go to then. So why well, I wanted to talk to you about leadership was this fascinating. So you're, you're creating a podcast, you have a conference, you have a blog way back to, you know, what was it blogger at first? What were you on? Yeah, I was on WordPress still. WordPress. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and you have a moment, I'm guessing at some point where you realize like, am I the, am I the flag bearer of this movement of this bootstrap SAS? Like there are other narratives, other ways to talk us through that. Like, when did you realize this is my life's mission? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it too, because I, I do think now life mission, legacy, that that's a word that comes in. It feels grandiose, but I, I'm at that point where it's like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Cause I've, sure. I did what I came here to do. Like when I was 20, I was in college and I was like, I want to start a company or multiple, and I want to have enough money at some point that I never have to work again. I will always work. I want to be able yep. to work on whatever I want when I want, yep. right? That was yep. the goal. The freedom. Yep. Yep. And, and I achieved that about five years ago. And so now I'm like, okay, well, what's next? And what's next is, is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, what's, what's my legacy? It took me way too long to figure this out because I start writing essays in 2005. I've written three books on, on, you know, essentially bootstrapping startups or being a founder, 550 podcast episodes, you know, 20, 20 in-person events. Yeah. All the things I did this. And it wasn't until May, it was like four years ago, five years ago. So it was, you know, well more than a decade in where my wife sat me down. She's very smart. She's a clinical psychologist. She's a founder, uh, consultant and, and CEO consultant. And she said, you realize how many people look to you for not only for guidance, but like as an example, and they look for you to set the tone and, and what you talk about on your show or what you tweet about or whatever people then talk about for weeks and you are now a you know a leader. She didn't use that word, but in essence, that's what sure. she she was kind of like. I've realized this. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> and I have a very you know I'm an introvert, a software developer. Like this is not my life's mission was not to be the leader of some movement. To be honest, yep. Yep. but here we are. And uh, and since then, I've just I've really done a level set of like I almost owe it. I think I owe it to the people. Like I get I don't know an email a week, maybe maybe, meh, yeah, maybe two to four emails a month that are like, you don't know me, but I listened to your podcast for years and yeah. it completely changed my life. And here's how, and I'm running a cool. business now that's doing 50 grand, but you know what I mean? And I get those. And I think first I was just like, is this even real? But now it's like, I, I feel like I almost owe it to people to continue doing this. And I enjoy it. That helps. Right. Sure. I was doing sure. it when it was, <laughs> when I was making no money at any of this, right. When it was a hobby. But yeah, it's like a responsibility now and not a burden, but a responsibility, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's two ways I want to go on that. So the first is you kept doing it even when it wasn't say either making you money or even maybe f like filling your cup from a, a, you've changed my life. So what was without realizing, what, what were you so passionate about the topic or you had just felt so firsthand how it could change your life or what kept you making those episodes in episodes 61 and 67? And It is a good question. So there were a couple things. One is I was, I wanted, I knew that I needed to be around other like-minded people or else I would just quit all of it. Like I needed sure. a community. And so I kept pushing that forward because I got a lot of value out of the community itself, whether I had built it or someone else had, I wanted to be part of it and yeah. I wanted it to continue to exist. The other thing was very much the Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know if you ever heard how he said, I write a joke every day uh, and I put yeah. an X on the calendar. Don't break right? the chain, right? Don't break the chain. So for me, if you, if you actually look back, I blogged for about five or six years and then I stopped because 
writing is really hard. And I did break the chain and I, I didn't do it. And I, I, I write books really sporadically. The podcast though comes out every week, Tuesday morning. And wow. we have not missed, uh, you know, an episode in about 11, in about 10 and a half years. We used to go every other week for a while, but blah, blah, blah. Wow. But even now, like, I'll, I'll get sick and I'm like, I got to record, I got to get something out, you know? And that's, that's a chain. And I just won't, I can't let that die now after five, almost 550 episodes. That's cool. I like that. Um, and so then the other thing I wanted to ask you was this idea of sort of accepting that you now are a leader, but also in a different way than maybe when you were running a company, because these people don't work for you. You don't necessarily see them or know them. You don't, they don't report to you. They're not writing their paychecks. So talk about, you know, this shows about leadership, leading people. You're almost leading like a persona of people hmm. without actually knowing or seeing the people. So talk yeah. about that. I mean, yeah, you do probably get to know them, but that's, that's what happens. So it is a persona or a few, really, there's the really early stage and then there's the middle stage and there's the growth, the you know, later stage people. What has helped is meeting them in person. And that was one reason we started running microconf, which has started as an in-person event. And it's now an online community and a whole, whole bunch of uh, YouTube channel and a whole bunch of other things. But in 2011, we had our first event, which, you know, was like 90 people in like a smoky Vegas ballroom and totally bootstrapped, <laughs> almost lost a bunch of money on it. Um, and meeting people there, it was like, oh, so this is who's listening and reading. Like it was this big realization. And that has actually really helped me, um, you know, come to grips with the persona. When I write or when I speak on the podcast these days, I really, I often am thinking about one individual or like a small cool. group of people that I know. And yep. that fills out the persona for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it's, kind of, it's different than like being an elected leader, right? Where people voted you in, or being yeah. a CEO where you hire these people. It's like you're you're leading a movement that people choose to follow, um, and whether you wanted to or not, you've become sort of a leader of that movement. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, and it's and so for me, a a leader of the movement. You know, um, for me, it's a big part of it is then thinking about how do I, how do I steer people right? Like, how do I be, you know, moral and ethical about, how do I be ethical about this and like give people the best information that I have to help them? And also how do I keep providing value to them after this many years? And the fact, you know, so I'm not an operator anymore, right? I don't run sure. a SaaS company today, but I ran several of them and, you know, sold the last one five years ago and worked there for another couple of years. But how do I continue to engage in a way. Cause as you said, I'm not elected and I'm not their boss. So really they can stop listening to the podcast sure. anytime. Right. And sure. they can stop following me on Twitter anytime if, if I'm not still bringing them relevant up-to-date stuff. And so I, I, and of course I do that through people I know through microconf and, and my portfolio of investments. I have like 56 SaaS companies now or something I'm invested in. It's a lot. So and that's why I wanted to ask you then do, the, do those other things, conference fund, did those come out of need that you realized the community needed it or you yes. wanted to drive? Like how did, yeah, what was first? Exactly that. Yep. Okay. Yep. It was always a need. And so we had a podcast and I had the blog and it was, oh, and at that point I had started an online training thing. It was like a forum plus education around, Hey, here's how to bootstrap like a small app to 10 grand a month, you know, like here's how to quit your J job. It's really what it yeah. was. It was like marketing yeah. for developers almost. And it was like, this is SEO stuff. I know again, this is 11 years, you know, it's 2009 to 2010 and got a few hundred founders in there or developers and aspiring founders and forums were pretty vibrant. It's like, these people are like, they're really interesting. And I yeah. 
we started being like, does everyone want to meet in person? Like, would you come to Vegas if we charged $400 and like we all flew? And so that was the, it was that impetus of like, you know, I believe like audio is, I, I read and write a lot, but I believe audio is better than like the written word personally. And I believe video is better than audio, even though I don't sure. actually watch much video. And I believe in person is better than video, you know, yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of not better is not the right, but engagement, right. In connection, terms of connection, yeah. all those metrics. Right. Um, and that was where it was like, t- you know, take it to the next level. And then tiny seed, you know, again, is only what, two and a half, three years old. And that definitely came out of a need in the community of, it's this community of bootstrappers, but bootstrapping or just starting any company, especially SaaS is really, really hard in the early days. As you said, you can spend 18 months building. You yeah. can, you know, it can take you a year or two to get to, or more to get to a place. And people didn't want to go the venture track. And so we were t- trying to figure out, is there an in-between where maybe you do just raise a hundred thousand or 200,000 and it just gets yeah, you speed to up that plus. timeline. Yep. Yeah. And a absolutely. lot of people were asking for that. And so it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm to your point. It's like, I remember someone actually came up to me literally after a talk I gave and they said, you've done some angel investments. I think you should invest in a lot of bootstrappers. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a really good idea. And they're like, yeah, someone should like start a fund to invest in bootstrappers. I was like, yeah, someone should really do that. (laughs) And I walked away. And the next day I was like, wait a minute, who, who should do that? Right. It should probably be me. So, yeah. Well, and that's a great leader. We said that before, right? If not, who, if not me, who, right. Who's going to step up and do that. We, this thing needs to exist. And I imagine, you know, in, in that angel model of taking lots of small bets, it's gotta be a pretty good economic you know, there's a lot of opportunity too, right? Like we just talked about the beauty of what happens to SaaS if you can really break break through escape velocity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I I have um, 16 investments that I made personally over the last 10 years, I believe, since 2011, and then the rest, like there's we're at 40, we'll be at 40 with Tiny Seed, and. So the earliest ones have started to pay off basically with exits yeah. and, you know, cutting, I'm getting, yeah, I'm now getting dividends. It's crazy. Like I got a, I mean, this is, again, I made like 450 an hour at my first job. Like I got out of college and I made $17 an hour, right? I, a, I went to public school my whole life. Like my dad was an electrician. You know, I want to drive home here. I am not, I did not go to yeah, Harvard. Yeah, yeah. I went to UC Davis yeah. and I worked my ass off. And so I'm now getting a almost monthly dividend of like $4,000 from one of the startups I invested in because they're an, they're an LLC. They don't want to exit and that's how they're going to pay out. And $4,000, you kidding me? Like I could have lived on that for, yeah. you know, uh, you know, years I'm in a different place now, but it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, the ability to, to be able to participate in that. So one thing that's really popular today I wanted to ask you about is, um, kind of community led products, right? So people who start communities, just like you did, and then kind of stumble into maybe the business or the, the the product later, right? So they're they're looked to as a thought leader or a leader of a. So you kind of did this before it was like, you know, popular. That's cool. <laughs> but um, talk about that as far as like for in the leadership vein, how somebody can create a following or a community and then spot opportunity, you know, to help said community. Um, do you see that going on in your investments or in tiny seed deals? I so I don't because it is. The, the process of creating a community is just years and years and years of putting time in, usually with no like payback. Yeah. And at least in the, my experience, so there's like four or five communities that I really like, know, and respect. And it's like, we're, we're the one for SaaS and there's one for e-commerce and there's one for buying and selling websites. There's one for digital nomads. And I know all the, and they all did it the same way. They all had podcasts. Then they started in-person events. They did some writing, but it was 
five years before they made a single dollar of revenue. And so no one, if you, the shortest path (laughs) is to go find a problem that a business has and solve that problem and have them pay for it. So I don't see people building SaaS companies around it unless they kind of stumbled into the community thing, you know? Okay. And that's kind of where I, that's kind of where I, um, where we did too, like microconf, we kind of stumbled into it a little bit because we had the podcast community and then kind of tiny seed was just, you know, an extension of that. But I wouldn't have imagined 10 years ago, like, I'm going to start a fund for bootstrappers. I should start a community of bootstrappers in order to yeah, yeah. Know, start that. Fund. Okay. Um, so let's talk about, you said, I'm an introvert. I didn't see myself as a leader. And I want to talk about sort of that transformation. Now, how do you think about leadership having done multiple companies, employees, you know, now we also leading those who you're not employed by the fund. I'm sure, I'm sure you see a lot of different style of leaders with the investments you make. Right. And I have to about, lead them. Yeah. 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 So what's your kind of outlook on how you have to lead now that you've accepted that sort of title? Yeah. That's a really good question, actually. And it was something, you know, if you ask someone who's naturally amazing at something, they don't tend to know why and how they do it. I am not naturally amazing at this. So I have been very meticulous about like, yeah, yeah, do this. Yeah. Intentional is a good way to put it. Um, I've realized that a, I don't need to know all the answers. And in fact, it makes me a better leader when sometimes I say, you know what? I just don't know. Never done that. And people get, since I do know enough, since I know 90% of the time, you know, it's like the other 10%, it doesn't matter. Right. So just saying, I don't know is something growing up as an engineer and then a software developer, like I had a very hard time not always knowing the answer. So that's been a big thing. I think the other thing is, um, there, there are so many types of leadership. Like there is the bump, they're the bombastic, charismatic, the, you know, the loud, the big show. Yep. They're the bad cop leaders, right. That are just like, you, you respect them, but like, they're always kind of saying the bad, the hard thing of like, I hate your pricing. It sucks. And then there may be good cop leaders which is probably more of what I am where I, I will say the exact same thing as my bad cop co-founder, Anar Volset, we, we actually have in our Slack, Colin bad cop is his head and Colin good cop is me. Um, and we will say the same exact thing, but we will say it in two different ways. He will come in and say like, I hate your churn. You need to fix it. Right. And I'm like, Okay, so in my experience, is that a European thing? You think? Yeah, I would have thought the other I, way around. I don't know. It's just he. It's just who he. It's just personality. You know, he okay. just cuts to the chase. He's a sales guy, and he's dealt with. He deals with uh, private equity folks sometimes and investors. And I'm more like, well, hey, think. Let's think about your churn this way. And here's what I would do to optimize. Like it's instantly, we'll say the same thing, but we say it in different ways. And so I sure. think becoming authentic to me, because I was trying to lead like someone else for a while because I was like, oh, that person's a leader. I respect them, but it's like, but that's not who I am. And when I say their words, I sound not like Rob Walling, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea. That's been a theme on the show of sort of copy and copy, edit, paste type of thing. Finding the leaders that inspire you and and adapting parts of it, but still being Rob Walling. That's right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a big a big part of it. And I think the other thing is there used to be either conversations, whether they were arguments, discussions online, relevant conversations of the day that I would kind of opt out of and be like, I don't know. I don't really have any thoughts on that. Or I, I don't, sure. I don't know whether I have an opinion strong enough to blah, blah. And what I've realized again, coming back to almost that sense of responsibility is like, I do now as a leader feel like I maybe owe it to maybe the podcast listeners or maybe the tiny seed companies to if, if something comes up, like when COVID started yeah. and re- lockdown happened, I could have just kept doing the podcast as is, but we did an entire episode of this is COVID, we're locked down, this is how you should think about it as a founder. And part of that was like, cool. this is scary. 
I'm scared too, but we will make this through. Like I was almost reassuring, you know, that the listeners and the, and the audience, the community of like, we're going to make, we're going to make it through this. We're going to be okay. And I don't think five years ago I would have felt like, well, that's a really weird thing to say, but it's like, no, I, people needed to hear that from someone, you know, yes. and someone who they know and trust. And so again, again, it does come back to that. It's not a burden, but I take it as a responsibility now to speak to things that I think are relevant, you know, in the day and that people might need guidance on. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. We needed that a year ago at this time. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fear. And, and so whether it came from your podcast, a best friend, a loved one, like we all need it, whatever source we got it from. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see two quick more and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I want to know, do you think there's a certain type of leader that you either prefer or you think is more suitable for leading a bootstrap SaaS between whether the ones you've invested or, or known, I'm guessing you've seen all types. Is there an optimized one? You know, the I'll say that I, I don't think there's an optimized type. I've seen a lot. I've seen like the super ambitious, like uh, um, almost like aggressive, but not in a bad way of just like, I want to do this and I'm going to crush it. And like, I'm going to do cold calls oh, and I'm going to make it happen. the world at my will. Yep. Yeah. And, and as long as that person treats other human beings well, you know, and is, is ethical and respectful, th- I, that's, I know a few founders I've invested in that done really well. And then I have some that are super laid back and they're like, I just want to grow this great business and this is so cool and I want to improve the world, but I also want to, you know, improve my life while I'm doing it. That's great. Again, as long as they're ethical and treat other people well. So the commonality I have, you can tell is this, this point of like, I have also dealt with people. I've luckily not invested in people, but I've been around leaders that I'm like, uh, you treat people like shit, you know, or you don't value other humans and you're going to step on other people. The ends justify the means for you. And that's a real, that's probably my biggest deal breaker is like, if you don't value, you know, your relationships with other people. Yeah. And as big as, you know, software has become, like I would imagine that the SaaS world, especially the bootstrap SaaS world is actually pretty small and people know it each is. other. And if they you do. are a person like that, bridges will be burned and that, yep. you know, karma will come back, but that's right. Okay. The last one, this is kind of a bonus question, cause it's not really the, the, the topic of this show, but I, I do think, and, and I, I'm in this space as someone who's in a kind of a year of transition and trying to decide what I want to do next, but tell, uh, let's talk about that spreadsheet story, because if someone's mm-hmm. listening and this apps, this podcast is not about coming up with business ideas. I know those podcasts exist, but if someone listened to this, because I think what's so cool about SaaS, especially bootstrap, and then especially like very, what I've learned is that there's the most boring industries and most boring jobs are some of the craziest, most profitable businesses. Right. And so if someone's listening and they are in a job, talk about how, like, how do you come up with an idea for a SaaS company? And, and maybe I like that spreadsheet analogy because it's really tangible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one example of that that I always use is a, a company that is doing low eight figures, so north of 10 million in, in revenue, as far as I know. And they, are this tiny niche of construction and it helps like, you know, one trade on a construction site do like their design thing and they own 80 or 90% of that market market and that's it. And it's two founders and like six employees, you know, and you can do maybe 10 employees, but it's just like, you do the math on that. It's insane. So there are niches everywhere. They are becoming more competitive for sure. But, um, the analogy you brought up is the spreadsheet is anytime anyone at a business is using a spreadsheet to still do things, there is room for a SaaS app there to do that and to do it well. And whether it's to do that horizontally for everybody or whether to just do it for people, sure. you know, hair salons or, um, yep. you know, or, uh, or, you know, electricians or, you know, small home yeah. improvement contractors go to, I mean, here's an example, like go to tinyc.com, scroll halfway down 
and you will see right now there's 23 companies listed there. Just click through all their logos and look at the sure. variety. You know, there's e-signature apps, which is like, oh, we all in podcast recording. Okay, that makes sense. And then it's like CRM software for home improvement contractors. And it's it's a, a database of M&A and funding deals for biopharma tech companies. Like, oh, I, don't, I would never have thought, but I'll just say these companies are doing quite well, you know, in, in that respect. Yeah, so that's great. That, that gives an idea of it. But so the, to answer your question very succinctly, how do you come up with ideas? It's start with a problem, not with an idea. Start with a problem that a business has. Don't solve problems for consumers. Um, I could, we could do a whole podcast. On that, but, and, and B- I wouldn't B2B. say never, yes, I wouldn't say never, but it's like, these are my loose guidelines. These are my 90 tens, right. Of like, try to focus on B2B. To increase your chance of success. That's yeah. what it is. Yep. Yeah. And then find a problem that a business or a small business, whether it's small, medium, or large side business has and are willing to pay for, and then find people who you can talk to to help you, you know, build out that, that, uh, the solution. Cause oftentimes a solution is, a, is different than what you think. You think yeah. that lawyers need CRM software where they don't really need that. They may need some other slice of it that, you know, that you need to solve a yeah. different way. That's great, Rob. Good advice. Okay. Let's finish with a little rapid fire to get to know you. Um, I don't know if you're a reader. I know you're a writer. You've written a couple books. What's a book you often recommend to, um, to people? So my wife wrote a book called the entrepreneur's guide to keeping your shit together. And <laughs> I recommend it not be, and I, I'm listed as the with like the co-author, but it's taken from content. We put out on a podcast and then I did feet, five feet Rob Wallen. Feet Rob Wallen. I did 5% of it. Yeah. And I make no money. She gives all the money for it, but it's, it's very good. It's, it's all about the mental, the mental game, which I think people uh, really undervalue. Yeah. I believe that the majority of being a successful entrepreneur is like figuring out your mental, either your psychology and managing it through the ups and downs. So if you haven't That's checked good. that out, yeah, I recommend it. Cool. Um, how have you, gosh, 13 months in, I've been saying a year, but now we're even past that um, in a pandemic. How have you stayed sane? I mean, you have two kids. You, you know, what, how do you unplug? I unplug by playing tabletop games. So, you know, games with, with physical pieces. When we were playing before pandemic, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons in person. Nice. And I sit in front of a screen enough every day that while I love video games, I do not play them anymore. And so I have this big stack of games over here, Memoir 44, which simulates D-Day, you know, and it, you roll cool. dice and you move things and like that. I do it with my, and the beauty is, of course, I do it with my kids, right? That's the and thing. And they like it if, too? Yeah. If they cool. didn't do it, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't spend the time, but it's it allows me to both engage my mind in a way that I don't during the day, you know, and and also be around, hang around with my kids. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's a... There, you know, I know you have kind of starting in the teenage kind of era, so that's probably hard to get them to sit down and focus with, hang out with dad for a couple hours, right? Not yet. The crossing fingers, I have 11, almost 11 off, almost 15, and they're still very family oriented. So I know that'll change at some point, but still, still doing good there. Well, maybe that's your answer to the next question. Then what's a piece of parenting advice you would give someone? Parents are leaders for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, it's tough. Cause it's like without context, it's like what type I think, I believe different parents, they're just different types of parents. Right. I think for us, we've tried to focus on, um, a little bit on like growth mindset. Like if you haven't read the book, this is the advice that's, it's going to be read the book growth mindset by Carol Dweck. Dweck yeah. And yep. There's fixed mindset, growth mindset ever since. And again, my wife coming from psychology, like this is a, you know, a psychology, psychological book, but it's designed, it's written for, for us, for lay people. And it just, it's how to teach your kids not to think that 
the, the way things are today is the only way they, they will be. If they're not good at math, they're not good at math. It's like, no, you yeah, can be better at math. You just yeah. study. Yeah. Or you can be an entrepreneur. My son told me once, like, when I get older, I want to make a movie about uh, Bone, which is a comic book character. He was six or something. And I said, no, not when you get older. Let's make a movie now. So we downloaded a stop motion mm, app it. on the iPad. I said, never say when I get older, you know? And then we made clay things and we did animation. And it's a it's a 90 second movie. We still have it. We think it's hilarious because <laughs> he and I voiced him, you know? We're not, it's not a good movie, but he <laughs> made a movie, you know? So that's, I think, how, what we're trying to, you know, encourage our kids to, to do. Yeah, he'll remember that. I mean, he'll be telling his friends in college about that. Absolutely. Cool, I love that. Okay, uh, what do you think your superpower is? The one thing you do better than anyone else makes you brag about yourself. Yeah, I really do. My superpower is definitely not bragging about myself because it makes me <laughs> feel uncomfortable. I think that I sh- I show up in the long term. You called it out on this, but like, I don't necessarily look out ten years and say I'm going to do this for ten years. But when I start something, if it works, I am willing to put in the time. And I call I. I use this phrase for myself, it's relentless execution. And it doesn't mean that I don't take long vacations. It doesn't mean that I don't hang out with my family, but I relentlessly execute for months, years, or in this case, it's going to be decades. And I never thought it was a superpower. It's just hard work, you know, and it's over the long term. But I I do think that that's why I am where I am, is that I've done that. I love that. Keep showing up. And then the last one, um, we touched, touched on it briefly, this idea of leaders who have inspired you. So these could be people you know and love or people you've studied. Who are the leaders who have shaped who you are, Rob? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. There's a lot. I mean, I think um, I, I like, like I was really inspired by Warren Buffett's biography. Just that, he, again, talk about long-term thinking. He just showed up. He did what he was yeah. good at. He's, he's humble. Like I'm inspired by people who have humility and they, they let their work speak for, for it, for themselves, you know, and yeah. instead of touting, tooting their own horn and saying, look how great I am. Um, I think Warren Buffett's a, a good example of that. Not that I could, we're not going to model Warren Buffett's investment returns <laughs> or anything about that, but there are other elements of this you can, you know, you can admire. I'm trying to think of someone else. Um, uh, recently to give you a, a second is I think 81 out of his $84 billion. This is in Morgan Housel's new book, uh, psychology of money. He earned after the age of 65. Right. So like, He's yeah. got 84 billion and 81 of them came uh, in the last, I think he's 20, 20 years, which is yeah. just talk about just continually just showing up. But yeah, but the flip That's side crazy. too, is he makes, he started investing at like 13 years old. So like yep. time, right. They always Compound. say time is yeah, yep. compound it's, interest. It's the last few doubles they say, right. You, Cause your money doubles every eight years, depending on interest rate. Right. But it's the last few doubles that are the big ones. Cause when you're doubling and it's a hundred dollars, it's not much, but once you have a million bucks in there, that double, and then that next double gets you to four, right. Those are the big yeah. ones. Um, I did think of someone else and it was a man named, uh, Gene Revisa who ran, who honestly reminds me a little bit of Warren Buffett, but he ran an electrical contractor that my dad worked for for 42 years. And I actually worked there a couple years out of college as an electrician. And he is just a, he was a man who was, he was charismatic. He was a leader, but he was very humble and he was self-made and he cared about people, you know? And, and I think that's a lot of like, if, if you've, if I've said anything on this podcast today, it's probably the, try to be those five things. And I, yep. I think I learned it from this man who I probably met when I was 10, you know, and, and he just, he passed away a couple, a couple years ago, but, um, I worked directly with him for about a year of that time. And it was really impactful on me. Yeah. I love that. And that's a huge part of the show is like, the only way you can learn, you can lead is really 
by like learning to lead is by leading, but yeah. we do have these moments and these memories and these people that we sort of download into our head and copy yeah. their ways. And so even at 10 years old, it sounds like you made an impression. Yeah. Big time. Cool. Well, this is great, Rob. Thank you for the time and for sharing your story. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, whether it be checking out your podcast or what's the way you recommend that? Yeah. Startups for the rest of us is the podcast and you can find that in any, any place where greater podcasts are sold. Um, you can reach out also to me on Twitter at Rob Walling. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, Rob. You be well. Absolutely. You too. And that was episode 48 with Rob Walling. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the lead more podcast reminder. We drop new episodes every Thursday, every Thursday. You can find them, uh, wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Just hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review, comments, feedback, who you'd like to hear on a future episode of the Lead More Podcast. And thanks for listening. Take care and be well.